Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, until further notice, we are not meeting physically in the church building and instead are live streaming our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We hope you will join us either on our website or on our Facebook page for worship. Now, here is this week's message. Hey, well, good morning. I'm glad you're joining us as we continue our series called The New You, where we're studying and going through the book of Ephesians. Today, we're continuing the section on household codes. Remember last week, we talked all about what a biblical marriage looks like. If you missed that, you can go to our website and and listen to it to catch up. And this week, we're transitioning. You know, Paul transitions from talking about marriage to now talking about the parent-child relationship. Well, let's just make sure we're on the same page because being a kid today, or probably at any time, but being a kid today especially is tough. For most people, mom and dad, most children, both mom and dad work, which means both mom and dad are stressed out and busy. They have a lot going on, so the kids don't have as much attention as perhaps they want or need. And with that, there's so many different ways to get in trouble. I mean, the internet has made everything public. Children and students are influenced by anything. They're just one click away from anybody who posts something online. And social pressures are rough. When I was growing up, I could do silly things, and maybe my friends knew about it, and maybe they told a couple of people about it, but that was about it. If it got out any further than that immediate circle, I could just deny it, but now everything is recorded and then posted, so it's really hard to kind of deny what you did if everybody's watching the video of you doing it. And then you have the comparison trap. You know, growing up, I knew I might not have had as nice shoes as my friends in class, But I didn't have to compare myself or couldn't compare myself to the rest of the world. So now kids are not only seeing what they don't have with their immediate circle, but it's also what they don't have compared to everybody else with an internet account. And so being a child or being a student, I mean, how are they supposed to navigate this world? Well, on the flip side, I mean, think about parenting. It's tough. I mean, every generation, every generation thinks they have it worse, but it's so different now. I mean, you can't even throw kids outside. When I was growing up, it was a nice day. My mom would throw me outside and lock the door. I'd try to come and say, Mom, I'm thirsty. She'd say, drink from the hose. Right? At, at that time, kids could go outside and play. Now, you'd probably get arrested for doing something like that. You have to monitor your kids' tech. As we talked about, I mean, kids and students are just one click away from the most disgusting thing, things imaginable. And the problem is they know more about technology than you do. And safety is such a concern. I mean, my kids are eight, six, and five, and they're already doing active duty, I mean, excuse me, active shooting, shooting training in school just in case uh, someone were to break in and come in. They're practicing how to get up around the walls and be quiet just in case there's an active shooter in the building. And then we see what goes on in the world. I mean, with the news cycle, how it is, we're all concerned about the safety of our kids and perhaps someone might snatch them away or something like that. So we get scared about even letting them play outside. In fact, what are we supposed to feed our kids? I mean, organic, all natural, sugar-free or red dye-free? Farm-raised? I mean, how can I afford to feed them things like that? And have you seen the cost of medical insurance? 
I got to think about, do I take my kids to the doctor or do I feed them? Because I can't do both. And then saving for school, I haven't even paid off my student debt. I don't know how I would ever save for theirs. In fact, social pressure being a parent is so high. I mean, everybody's in your business. I remember when Jess was pregnant, people say, oh, oh, oh you're thinking about breastfeeding. Well, studies show. And on the flip side, people say, oh, well, you're not going to breastfeed? Well, have you seen the studies? I'm just wondering when people were so concerned with what my infant ate. I mean, they make you feel bad if you don't do what they're doing. And then they talk about the latest and greatest baby monitors and their kids having an iPhone at three years old. I mean, it's just different, the pressures that we face because, again, we see what other people have and they compare us to them and it just gets in this cycle. You see, whether it's right or wrong isn't the issue. Being a parent today is tough. And technology has changed the landscape and we're in times that people don't really know what to do or how to proceed. Everybody's learning. Everybody's learning together. And so with all these options, what does a parent focus on? Well, thank goodness Paul gives us insight. He gives us simple, straightforward advice about the parent-child relationship. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you that submission is still the guiding theme. Remember, we learned last week, Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this may sound odd when you're dealing with the parent-child relationship. Remember, this is the bridge verse. It brings the two sections together. And Paul's talking about, as a church, as Christian, we should have this submissive posture. Then he goes into detail of what this looks like in the marriage relationship. And now he goes into detail of what this looks like in the parent-child relationship. And what's interesting is he doesn't appeal to authority, which would have been very common back then. He appeals to his theology. Look at what he says, Ephesians 6, 1. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is simple. It's easy to understand. Just children, obey your parents. Now, in the Lord, that means, doesn't mean if they are Christians, you obey. It means because you are a Christian, you obey. You see, the new you in Christ says that by serving my I serve the Lord by listening to my parents. In other words, obeying your parents has everything to do with your relationship to Jesus Christ. So if you're a child, which we all are, that's how that happens, we are to obey our parents. And what this means for the parents is we must teach our kids to obey. And I know that sounds obvious, but discipline is now uh, taboo, and people are you know, trying to figure out what that looks like. I have tons of friends who won't even tell their kids no. But teaching kids to obey sets them up to be great citizens. It doesn't mean they don't ask questions. It doesn't mean that they can't talk and you can't have a conversation with them. But it does mean that you have to teach them about authority and following directions at a young age. As the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. Actually, I don't know if you knew this, but the Bible doesn't say that, even though we hear people say it says it doesn't. Here's what it actually says. Proverbs 13, 24. It says, whoever spares the rod hates their child, but, who, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, if you decide to spank your kids, that's on you. This verse isn't justifying whipping your kids or anything like that. In fact, if you were to use a rod on your child today, you would be in jail, 
All right, the Old Testament is filled with things that we can't do in today's culture. But discipline doesn't necessarily mean spanking, although it was for me specifically an orange spatula. But to be fair, I deserved it. The proverb is simple. If you love your child, you discipline them. If you hate your child, you don't discipline them. And discipline is simply teaching your kids that there are consequences for disobeying. We have to teach them that no means something. We have to teach them that not following directions or blatantly ignoring directions, well, there's consequences for that. So if you love them, you teach them this kind of stuff. If you don't love them, you ignore it and you let them figure it out later. Because the reality is the world's going to be far more harsher than you. They're going to be far less forgiving than you. You see, generally, the younger you are, the less severe the punishment. If my kids at 5, 6, and 8 talk back, they go to their room. It's pretty simple. At 25, if you talk back, you get fired. There's a big difference. And so whether or not you know this, they're going to learn. And it's probably better coming from you at a younger age and just instill this in them. And so while kids are told or children are told to obey, we must teach them what that means. That's our responsibility as parents, to teach our kids about authority and about listening to those who are over them. Continuing on, Ephesians 6, 2-3 says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So honor your parents. Now, this is different than obey. This means to respect them. This means to esteem them. But notice it doesn't say if they're worthy of your honor. It just says to flat out honor them. This can mean living a life that makes them proud. And it also means that as they get older and you get busy with your life, that you still remember them. And I'll be the first one to admit I'm I'm terrible at this. If it wasn't for my wife, my family wouldn't know what's going on in our family. I'm trying to get better, but this idea of honoring them, one way we do this is that even when we don't have to share our life with them, we still do share our life with them. And this can also mean to take care of them. God willing, they will get older. You and I, we need to prepare for that. And I know it sounds scary and frightening that your mother-in-law might live with you one day. Trust me, I get that. But this is one way we honor them. As the life cycle goes, our parents take care of us when we're younger, and you know this. They fed you, they changed your diapers, they dealt with your horrible attitudes growing up. I mean, it's just part of it. And then as Christians, when they get older, we now take care of them. And this isn't an inconvenience. It's your duty. It's your duty. And one way you honor them, another way to honor them, is if you're still at home with them, means not to huff and puff and roll your eyes every time they ask you to do something. It's respecting them. Remember, because of Christ, because of who you are, because of your obedience to him. And students specifically, listen to this, students, listen. Paul says there's a promise attached to this. He's combining two Old Testament passages that if we honor our parents, if we respect them, we listen to them, we will have a better life. Now, Paul could appeal to authority because they're your parents, but he doesn't. He says, listen, just think about this. You will live a longer and better life. Because the reality is your parents have been your age. They've been where you are. And sure, they may be out of touch. Sure, they may not understand everything that you're specifically going through. But they've been around. 
So listen to them. Listen to their wisdom. Because whether you know this or not, they're smarter than you. So listen to them. Respect them. Honor them. them. Honor them. You don't understand that now, or perhaps you wouldn't ignore it, but you will come to realize as you get older that they knew far more than you thought. Mark Twain says this, he says, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. You see, we all go through a stage where we think we know more and we think we know better. But eventually we find out, and if you learn this now, it'll save you so much trouble. Eventually you'll find out they're protecting you, they're shielding you. They know far more than they're letting on. And so for parents, what this means is that if our children respect and obey us because they will have a better life, that implies that you and I are imparting wisdom to our kids. And I ask, are you teaching your kids? Are you imparting wisdom? Are you training them up in the things of Christ? Are you sharing with them life lessons. You see, you can't just assume that you and them are on the same page. See, don't assume unless you've talked with them. Here's a simple illustration. Growing up, I had a 1988 Brad. It was my favorite car. It was pretty awesome. At least I thought it was pretty awesome. Nobody else did, but I thought it was pretty awesome. It was one of the vehicles that had a sideway engine, and anyways, my alternator went out because I had a really loud stereo system. I was pretty proud of it. But anyways, my alternator went out, and my stepdad said, hey, this is a great time to learn. Change your alternator. Now, just know this was before the Internet. This was before I could Google how to do that, and I didn't have a manual. He just said, there's two bolts. Take the two bolts off, put the alternator in. Here's my tools, and he went to work. I said, cool. So I went out there to change my alternator. It took me eight hours to change the alternator. I came home. He came home. I said, I did it. I said, it took me all day. He said, why did it take you all day? This should have took you an hour. Well, I didn't know there was a way to release the tension on the belt. So if you've never changed an alternator, you don't get this. Those of you who do, you know. So I took a very large screwdriver. There's a, the alternator has a belt that goes around it. I took a very large screwdriver and pried the belt off. I put the new alternator on, and then I took that screwdriver and had to pry the alternator back, uh, put, pry the belt back on with all the tension. Needless to say, that's not the proper way, but it worked. It just took me eight hours to do it. And while that's a simple example, the reality is I didn't know there was a way to release the tension. Just assumed that I knew and I didn't. While that's silly, the reality is we should never assume we are on the same page with our kids. We shouldn't be surprised if they make bad decisions because we were too afraid to talk to them. Don't assume you're on the same page with your kids even if the topics are uncomfortable. So let me ask, are you being honest with them? And I know you might want to be careful about what you share with them. I mean, but have you ever been honest about your growing up and what you dealt with and the things that you struggle with? Because if you didn't know, I mean, just know, they already know you're not perfect. That went away a long time ago. So it's okay to be honest and share with them. And I know it might be scary to open up to your children, but do it anyway. They might actually respect that. They might actually listen. For instance, growing up, as I've told you before, I, I didn't know my dad. I met him around seven or eight, and for whatever reason, that fell off. And then about 13, I got to know him um, better. And needless to say, he, he wasn't there, and, and kids already have a hard time listening to their parents as it is. 
But growing up, I did listen to him about one thing. I mean, to be fair, he really never told me what to do. He, he knew he couldn't do that. But he was brave enough to share stories with me. And you see, growing up, I didn't live in a well-to-do neighborhood. Uh, drugs were a real thing. And I'll never forget the orange juice story. The orange juice story was simple. He told me about a guy that he knew growing up took a hit of acid. Now, before you judge me, Many of you grew up in the 60s and 70s. You know what acid is, okay? Let's stop pretending. So he told me about a guy who took acid as a young man and then thought he was a bottle of orange juice and was scared to tip over. Now, once I heard that story, it scared me. So when all my friends, some of my friends who were doing that stuff were to talk to me about it, I'd say no, because I'm thinking in my mind, I don't want to turn into a bottle of orange juice. That simple story stopped me from doing things I shouldn't have been doing anyways. But he didn't just say, don't do it because I said, or don't do it because it's not wise. He shared with me life experience. So all I'm asking is not to be naive. Because people do drugs. Your kids will be around people who do drugs. So talk to them about it. Don't assume they know. Talk to them about drinking. Don't assume they know. Don't say, well, don't drink just because I said, and don't say don't drink because the Bible says not to drink, because for one, that's not true, right? It just takes a quick reading of the Gospel of John to see that Jesus made some really good wine. But there are plenty of Proverbs that explain the dangers of drinking. Start there and talk to them about sex. Don't assume they know. It blows my mind that parents are afraid to talk about this. And I know it feels uncomfortable for you. Maybe it's uncomfortable for you listening to this right now. But here's the thing. Just don't tune out. Because their friends aren't uncomfortable to talk to them about it. The internet is not uncomfortable to talk to them about it. TV shows are not afraid to talk to them about it. And if you remember correctly, when you were a young person, that's pretty much what you thought about. So don't be afraid because the kids in school aren't. Protect them because all kids, all teenagers are looking for guidance and direction. And if you don't give it to them, somebody else will. So be honest and talk to them about these things. Share your wisdom on topics that can be, have devastating impacts to their future. And for goodness sakes, please put blocks on your kids' phones and computers. I've never met a person who regretted doing that, but I've met plenty of parents who come up to me and say, Brian, I couldn't believe it, my 11-year-old. You should see what they looked at. I said, no, no, I don't, I don't want to see it. I'm good. But put blocks on your phone. Never assume they're too young. There's a different world out there. So just be diligent. Check their phones. Put blocks on it. Talk to them about these things. And some advice I got from, from people I trust is one, one of my mentors, he gives his kids incentives. He told his two boys, he said, if you don't smoke or drink until you're 21, I'll give you a thousand bucks. And they did it. He was open. They had a conversation. He wasn't afraid to talk about it. And they held him to it. When they were 21, they all got a thousand bucks. And perhaps you're saying, Brian, I don't, I don't have a lot, of, a lot of wisdom. I don't really know where to start. Well, read a book. In fact, I hear some pastors pay their kids to read books. They say, I'll give you 100 bucks if you read this book. And it starts a dialogue. They have a conversation about the ideas. I mean, it's somewhere to start. The most helpful book, if, if you have a teenager or a young person, you're trying to figure out how to talk about sex and things like that, the best book you can read and they can read is this book by Andy Stanley called The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. I promise you he will say things to them you wish you could have said. And I promise you he'll say things that you wish you would have known when you were their age. 
Because remember, Paul here, he's assuming that if they obey and honor you, their life will be better. Are you helping them? Are you helping them do that? Because as a parent, you have way more influence than you may think or that they may let on. So give them good wisdom. Continuing on, Paul says this to the fathers, Ephesians 6, 4, the first part. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. So now he turns to the fathers like we saw last week. He's continuing to build this case of the husband-father leadership role in the home. And he says, don't exasperate them. And I didn't have a clue what that meant. Maybe you do. I didn't. But here's what it means. It means to irritate insensitively or to annoy to an extreme. So why would he tell fathers not to do this? Well, remember, back then, children weren't esteemed. Children had a very low place in society. And basically, Paul's saying that don't abuse your powers. You know, you've probably been there. You went to work, and your boss yelled at you. They screamed at you, and you couldn't really do anything about it. it took you a very long time to get home. It was hot. Or maybe you're working in the heat, and you've just been in the sun all day. So the idea is that when you come home, you're just yelling at them because they're lower than you. You're just taking advantage of that position. And so all the stresses of the day, you come home and unload on your children. Well, I say, no. No, be emotionally aware. We've got to make sure that we're not unfairly taking the pressures we're facing out on our kids. Just as husbands were called to change their view of their spouse, and they were to, to love their spouse with this unconditionally love, which would have been very rare back then. He's seen the same thing. He's elevating children. He's saying, hey, change your view of your children. No, they're not your punching bag. Love on them. Don't exasperate your children, he says. He says, instead, next part of verse 4, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so fathers, he says, take responsibility for your child's spiritual growth. It doesn't mean you have to do it all, but you definitely need to lead the way. And remember, this is chapter 6 of Ephesians. Paul has already explained the importance of the local church. He's already explained the giftings and the people who come together to pull this off. And so as a church, we don't want you to do this on your own. We want to partner with you. We want to help you. But this is very important, so if you've kind of walked away, hey, come back in. Listen, this is very important. But we can't do it for you. You are the strongest influence in your child's life. Not us. So own it. Value it. Nobody is fooled, especially your children, if you show up to church once a week or maybe twice a month. They're not going to take it serious. They can see through that. So do you pray with your kids? So Brian, I don't know how to pray. Either do they. So just act like you know what you're doing and they're going to go with it. Like you act like you know what you're doing with everything else. Do the same thing with prayer. They don't know any different. Do you read your Bible with them? Do you show them that church is important by prioritizing it? Or do you teach them that, hey, well, sports are really more important. Or fishing is really more important. Or, hey, the boat's more important. So Brian, I don't do that. We just get busy. I know. But what's important to us, we make sure that we have the time for. So do you prioritize church and gathering together with the Lord's people? Do you model a life of service? Your kids are far more likely to repeat what you do. And let's be honest. No one's around. Maybe your spouse. But let's be honest. Would you be impressed if your child had the same spiritual life as you? I mean, would that excite you if they were as close to God as you are? 
If not, do something about it. Father, fathers, I'm talking to you. This is your responsibility. Own it. This isn't a guilt trip, but it does mean that being a father is extremely important. Even if your home life isn't ideal, this is a reminder to take it serious. And even if you only see your kids on the weekends, take it serious. Or every other weekend, take it serious. Or maybe you haven't seen them in a while, call them. This is your responsibility as a father. Don't neglect your role. Proverbs 22, 6 says this, Start children off on the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not turn from it. Again, this proverb has baffled so many people. But remember, proverbs are general truths. They're general truths. There are always exceptions, but the writer's not going to list out but, but, but. It's just general wisdom. And studies show the younger you influence your child to the face, uh, faith, the more you grow them up in it, the, the better the chance they're going to hang on to it as they get older. And as a pastor, I can tell you from experience, Far too often we get calls from parents that says, hey, my teenager, or my, 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 my older, I mean, we need help. Far too often we get calls wanting us to do something. Their children or child, however they order, making terrible decisions, and they want us to fix them. We can't do that. And most of the time, if I'm being honest, it's from parents who chose to show very little interest in their faith. They chose not to prioritize the church, and now they need help. And I'll be honest, we want to help. We want to be there. But most of the time, it doesn't work because the children, child, no matter how old they are, doesn't have a relationship with us. You haven't taught them to respect pastors. You haven't taught them the importance of the church. So why now? Why now in the midst of all this would they start trusting it now? So build that relationship. Don't wait until it's too late and they make mistakes. Let's prevent it, and let's help them and teach them, raise them up in the Lord. So, Father, fathers, take this serious, because it's your responsibility. Now, to bring all this together, Paul is saying, children, submit to your parents. Children, honor and obey them. You will have a better, longer life. And just because, if you didn't know, just because your parents love you doesn't mean they like you. It's true, I promise. But your life will be much better if they like you. Think about it. When you're at school, do you buy things for people you don't like? Do you hang around people you don't like? Do you want to give somebody you don't like everything they want? Of course not. You're like, well, why would I do that? Yeah, well, you want your parents to not just love you. You want them to like you. So honor them. Obey them. It will go much better for you. And then parents... Submit to the biblical needs of your children. And that doesn't mean giving them everything they want. That isn't their need. But it is, according to Scripture, teaching them discipline. Instruct them and train them up in the Lord. And so parents, teach your children to obey. All right, teach them there are really consequences in this world. The best thing we can do is teach them discipline, not take our stresses out, and train them up in the Lord. Because what if it was that simple? What if our goal as parents is to teach them about authority and raise them up in Christ? Because the reality is you're not going to be there forever, but Christ will. So you want to teach them to depend upon him, not on you. You want to point your children to God. You want to develop that relationship so that when you aren't around, when they are with their friends, 
that that Holy Spirit will work inside of them. They'll listen to that voice. So we must teach them to respect authority and embrace the gospel. Every teacher they have will thank you. They'll thank you when they get older. And so we submit to their need. Not their wants, there's a big difference, but their need. And as a church, we have to remember this, and we need to focus and remember and at least be on our radar single-parent homes. I grew up in one for many years, and I can tell you it's hard. But instead of being judgmental to people in those situations, because you don't know as much as you think you know about situations, instead of being judgmental, we need to embrace them and love them. Men everywhere, be a father to that young, that young boy or that young man who doesn't have one. That's what we should do as a church. Step up and show them what it means to be a man. There's a lot of homes out there where the parents aren't around and the grandparents are raising them. As a church, we need to remember that and try to partner with the grandparents to help raise these children. As a church, we want to remember and help, help others raise their children. And if you don't have kids, you're going, Brian, this has nothing to do with me. That's not true. Just because you don't have kids doesn't mean you can't be a parent-like figure to them. Some of the best ministries I've seen for children and youth are from people without children, for whatever reason. They just have this massive passion. I've seen them minister and love on children in ways that parents can't. Because parents are stressed out. So you can come in and show them love like nobody else can. And now, almost finished. I know when we talk about parenting, this can bring up a lot of emotions for everybody. It can cause you to get angry at your father or mother for not being there or not raising you right, even though they were Christians. And listen, I, I get that. But we have to remember that parents are people too. We have to remember that they were dealing with things and maybe they didn't get taught how to be a good parent or maybe they didn't have good models. Whatever it is, we just have to remember that our parents are people who we need to extend grace they're fallen, they're sinners just like us. They did their best. Maybe their best wasn't that good, but they did their best. So extend them grace and just remember, your family can be different. You don't have to do what they did. It can change with you and you can set up the next generations to be very different. Or maybe you feel you're sitting here and you're like, man, I blew it as a parent. It's never too late. It may be harder now, but through prayer, you can still build relationships with them and your grandchildren. Never forget how powerful prayer really is. And those of you with children in their formative years, take it serious. I know it's overwhelming. I know it's difficult. But lean in on God's grace. You're going to mess up. You're going to make terrible decisions. You're going to wonder what you were thinking in the moment. But remember, God would not have entrusted you with those children if he didn't think you could take care of them. So we need his grace and embrace that. So children, obey. Honor your parents. Parents, make sure you're living lives. That's reflecting and helping them through this world so they can live a better life. Never forget to train them up in the Lord. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are our good, good Father. You are our perfect Heavenly Father, and you love us, you protect us, 
you guide us and care for us unconditionally. Father, I ask that you give us boldness, especially to all the fathers out there that needs to step up and lead as you have asked them to. I pray that they would take this duty serious and train them up in you. Father, help us raise our children, our grandchildren, in ways that honor you. Help us to have the courage to be the parents that you've called us to be. Help us. Let us let go of those society pressure and focus on the truths you've revealed to us. Father, let us look towards you for the perfection and extend grace to our parents. Maybe they missed it. Maybe they're currently missing it. But either way, help us be gracious towards them. Father, you are a good, good father. We thank you so much for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray.